Remember last week we looked at Revelation chapter 18. And in Revelation chapter 18 verse 20 was a command for all of heaven and all of those who follow Christ to rejoice over the fall of Babylon. Which represents all of the wickedness and idolatry and rebellion of the world. Falling under the judgment of God. Well, this morning we look at Revelation chapter 19, verses 1 through 6, and we see a fourfold hallelujah. The actual response to the command in 1820 to rejoice over the fall of Babylon. We get to see this fourfold hallelujah. Hallelujah is a Hebrew word. We're seeing it here in the New Testament which is written in the Greek language, not the Hebrew language. And so we have a word taken out of the Hebrew language, which is the Old Testament language, and written in the New Testament language, Koine Greek. This is the only occurrence in all the New Testament of the word hallelujah, and it occurs four times right here in Revelation. And you'll see it in the Old Testament translated often as praise the Lord because the first word hallel means praise and the second word yah is the shortened version of Yahweh or God so praise the Lord so right here we have an occurrence in the New Testament of an Old Testament word for us to praise the Lord and we're going to see this fourfold hallelujah as we walk through Revelation 19 Verses 1 through 6. So let's read together starting in verses 1 and 2. Revelation 19. After these things, I heard a voice like a great multitude in the heavens saying, Hallelujah. Salvation, glory, and power belong to our God because true and righteous are his judgments because he judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth in her immorality and he avenged the blood of his bondservants from her hand. The first hallelujah is declared from the heavens And this great sound of a multitude of voices. And the first thing that is stated here is that salvation and glory and power belong to our God. There's no question that salvation belongs to God. There is no other way to be saved except through faith in Jesus Christ. God is the one who saves and there is no salvation except through him. He is the one who owns salvation and gives it as a free gift through faith in Jesus Christ. And when somebody places their faith in Jesus Christ, they are saved. But that salvation is a salvation that though given in full is not experienced in finality. God has placed in each person who believes in Jesus Christ his Holy Spirit 
so that we are never without the presence of God, without the reminder that God is going to fulfill his promises. We have been given what the Bible calls a down payment, a guarantee in the presence of the Holy Spirit that one day God, who owns salvation, will come through on his promises and deliver what he's promised in full. He is the Savior. And though he saves those who believe in him, he promises he will save them fully. Glory belongs to God. All glory belongs to God. There is no other glory on the face of the earth that can compare with God. And yet, we are living in a time where there is competing glories. People, circumstances, situations seeking to rob God of his glory. All glory belongs to God. God is supremely glorious. And yet, we live in a time when he has not yet displayed his glory once and for all. But he still owns the glory. God is powerful. There is no other power on the face of the earth that can compete with the power of God. He is supremely powerful, and yet we live in a time when there are competing powers, and he has not yet brought all other powers into subjection to him. Yet he is powerful, and all power belongs to him. What Revelation 19 is, 1 through 6, it's a vision of the time when God's salvation is seen as complete. His glory is on display as final and all glorious. His power is seen in a position where he reigns having brought all other powers in subjection to him. And from the vantage point of God's completed salvation, display of his perfect glory and his reigning power, there issues forth from heaven a word, hallelujah. In light of God's completed salvation, his display of glory and his supreme power, the hallelujah issues forth because the judgments of God are right and true. You know, there's a lot of people who debate whether or not what God does, how God does it, when God does it, is actually just and right. There's a lot of people that throw out speculation as to whether or not God really exists, because if God really exists, how can things happen the way they're happening right now? You've heard people complain about what's going on and say, if God was really who God says he is, certainly this wouldn't be happening. And there, is, there are these statements of indictment against a God that exists who is just and right because of what people see in a slice of time filled with turmoil and chaos that is issuing forth from rebellion and idolatry. Revelation 19 is the picture of that moment when God 
and all that he has done, how he has done it, when he has done it, is seen for what it truly is. And it will be a time when what God has done in his judgments, what God has done in salvation, what God has done in displaying his glory and his power, how he has done it, when he has done it, everything about what he has done will be seen as just, right, and true. There will be no more debate whether or not what God did and when God did it was right. At this point, this vision is a vision where everything God did and when he did it and exactly how he did it through all of history is seen as absolutely true and absolutely righteous. And for that perspective, a hallelujah is more than appropriate. This is the perspective on what God has done that helps us understand that God has issued forth final judgment upon Babylon. Perfectly avenging those who were slain because they followed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. This is the moment where God is on display as the one who has pronounced a judgment that issues forth into eternity in perfection and rightness. And from the heavens resound a mighty refrain, hallelujah, and it is more than appropriate. That's hallelujah number one. We got three more. Hallelujah number two, verse two, verse three. And for a second time, they say, hallelujah. The smoke, her smoke rises up forever and ever. The same resounding voice says hallelujah and with this hallelujah is the phrase describing the smoke of Babylon's judgment. Babylon was burned with the fire of God's judgment and the smoke rises up from Babylon forever and ever. And Revelation 19 we are seeing a vision that is in contrast to a vision we saw earlier in Revelation. Back in Revelation chapter 8, there is another vision of smoke rising. In Revelation chapter 8, it's a vision of the smoke of incense mixed with the prayers of the saints rising into the presence, the face of God. Do you remember when we talked about Revelation chapter 8? This might help you remember. That was the sermon I talked about. The sweet smell of a caramel corn candle. Anybody remember that? I remember that sermon almost every day when I burn the candle in my office. If anybody was in E2 this morning walking on your way to life group, you may have smelled a smell in the hallway. I was burning that candle from the moment I get here so some of you might smell it. And be reminded of that moment when we talked about that God sees our prayers as a sweet aroma before him. And that we have his full attention. Everything we're asking, everything we're crying out for, everything we're hoping for in Christ that 
comes forth as a prayer. God cares about it so much that he says to us, your prayers before me are like a sweet-smelling fragrance that gathers my attention on you. And I care about what you need, what you're asking, what you have to have for me. I care about you. And here's the thing. Every one of our prayers that you've been praying all week long, maybe all your life, whatever it is that we're uttering before the Lord, it can all be represented as answered by Jesus Christ, who he is. What he has promised. Every prayer is really a cry for Jesus Christ to reign and rule and bring eternal life. So all our prayers have God's attention. Rising as a smoke of incense before him. Revelation 19 is the rising of the smoke of God's judgment forever. Never. Revelation 19 is the answer to all our prayers for God to bring redemption once and for all. And God answers by bringing judgment once and for all. Throughout the Old Testament history, there are records, accounts of judgments. All the accounts of judgments throughout the Old Testament have in them a thread of mercy. You do not see God pour out a season or moment of judgment in the Old Testament without there being A thread of God's mercy. We've seen it throughout Revelation as we've seen God's judgment being poured out in the trumpets and the bowls and the seals. That there's been repeatedly this opportunity for people to respond to faith in Jesus Christ. This thread of mercy through judgment. That's the same thing that's happened through the whole Old Testament. Whenever you see this glimpse of judgment, there's a thread of mercy. And the thread of mercy is there to remind us that this momentary glimpse of judgment is simply a warning to turn to God now. In the New Testament, to turn to Christ now. Because something far worse is coming. A day when judgment will fall once and for all and there will be no thread of mercy. The smoke of judgment rises forever and ever. You know what that means? That means that there's coming a day When God will issue forth a final act of judgment and those who have trusted in Jesus Christ will never again see, experience, hear about judgment happening again. It will be final. It will be done. There will never ever be a moment for the rest of eternity where we see, experience, hear about, or experience the implications of any judgment. Judgment will be final and it will be complete. 
smoke rises forever and ever. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Number three. Verse four and five. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who sits on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came out from the throne saying, Praise to our God, all his bondservants, those who fear him, both small and great. The 24 elders and the four living creatures again are leading the way in worship. If you look back at the beginning of Revelation, you're going to see how the 24 elders and the four living creatures lead the way in worship. They sing praises of worship. It's an amazing thing how they lead in singing to worship around the throne of God. And here we see them again in chapter 19, leading the way in worship, issuing forth a unique statement. Amen, hallelujah. So be it, praise the Lord. Now, the only other time that that phrase occurs in the whole Bible, amen, hallelujah, is in Psalm 106, verses 47 and 48. Now, in Psalm 106, verses 47 and 48, the people of God are crying out for the salvation of God, the deliverance of God. They are saying, Lord, save us. And then they talk about who God is and they offer him praise. And at the end of that little section, they say, amen, hallelujah. So here's what they're doing. They're crying out for salvation. And because of who God is, they know that salvation will occur. And so they say, amen, hallelujah. Now fast forward all the way to Revelation 19. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures are now saying, amen, hallelujah, from the perspective that God has completed his salvation. He's done it. They're not crying out for it anymore. He's accomplished it. He's come through with his promises. And they're saying, so be it. Praise the Lord. It's an amazing picture of God having completed salvation. From the perspective of God having completed his promised salvation, a command issues forth. Praise the Lord. The bondservants. The bondservants of God and those who fear him, both small and great. So command comes out of this third hallelujah. And I love the phrase, both the small and the great. I love that phrase because it says so much about the gospel. You know, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the great equalizer. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter how much money you have, what kind of family you came from. It doesn't matter what the color of your skin is. Doesn't matter where you live, what kind of house you live in, doesn't matter what country you call home. Doesn't matter whether you're a person of privilege or a person of need. It doesn't matter 
who you were, how insignificant in the world's eyes or how absolutely amazing in the world's eyes. The truth of the gospel is no matter who you are, where you came from, or what you had, all of us have sinned against God. All of us. And every single one of us, no matter what kind of privilege or opportunity we had or did not have while we lived on this earth, all of us sinned against God. And because of that, all of us are in need of the same salvation. Every single person has sinned against God and needs forgiveness. And there is only one way for anyone to be saved. No matter how prominent or important you may have been or may not have been, there is still only one way to be saved. And it's through faith in Jesus Christ. Every single person, no matter how great or insignificant you are, you have one way to experience forgiveness of sins and eternal life and it's simply by trusting in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior so every one of us are on an even playing field and so all of us are in need of the same forgiveness bearing the same guilt and through faith in Jesus Christ can receive the same salvation so that from us can come the same praise for what God has done for all of us to the same degree. Hallelujah. That God saves both small and great. The fourth hallelujah. Verse 6. And I heard a sound like a great multitude, a sound like many waters, and a sound like strong thunder saying, Hallelujah, because the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Revelation 19 gives us the perspective of the reign of God. God reigns right now, no question, but there is coming a day when he will reign once and for all, perfectly, over all, for eternity. You know, there's a word right here in this phrase, the Almighty, name for God. We've seen it from the very beginning of Revelation. We'll see it all the way to the end of Revelation. It occurs nine times throughout all of Revelation. And it's thematic in its occurrences so that we might read the book of Revelation and recognize that God is the Almighty. And the meaning of this name of God is that God is the one who is in control of all things and is orchestrating his purposes and his plans towards his reign over all things in perfection for his glory. He is the Almighty. He reigns and he will reign forever. And Revelation 19 is the picture of the reign of God in perfection. And for that picture, we exclaim, Hallelujah. I thought about, you know, what would it look like if everybody in 
the worship center and Liberty Hill and the gym just started doing like the wave of hallelujahs. You started one side and you went to the other and we just all started yelling hallelujah. That's what it feels like in heaven in this vision. There's just this massive cry of hallelujah for who God is, for what he has accomplished in the rightness of everything he has done. And this vision is that moment where everything he has promised is seen as having been accomplished. And we say, praise the Lord. But Hallelujah. Yeah, that's right. But, but here we live. We, we're not there yet, right? We, we can see it, we can behold it, but, but we're not there yet. Now most of you in this room know, some of you tolerate, maybe a few despise, that I'm an Aggie. <laughs> so, I am, and I wanna share, I wanna make a confession. Now, those of you who are Aggies, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. For those of you who are not, maybe you'll have a little bit more patience with those of us who are. The last time Texas A&M won a national championship was 1939. That's 79 years ago. 79 years. Now, I know some of you may think, that's not too long, but I'm telling you, 79 years is a long time. But I believe we will win another championship. I believe it. I, I mean, I, I am confident we're going to win another championship. I know it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And I have 75 million reasons to believe it. Did y'all catch that? I, I thought it might be appropriate to pay him $79 million instead of 75 since it's been 79 years. Maybe that would work some magic here. I don't know. Whatever it takes, we believe we're going to win another national championship. And we just, we just believe that. That's kind of who we are as Aggies. We just keep on believing it. And we keep on believing it. 79 years, we just keep on believing it. And I know there's some in this room that are sitting there thinking to yourself, man, I feel really sorry for Kevin and all those Aggies, those poor Aggies. I feel so sorry for them. You've wasted so much energy and time and money all for nothing because you're never, ever going to win a national championship. I know some of you are saying that. But I want to tell you that I believe we will win. And one day, when we win, because we will. That's right. One day, when we win, I'm going to stand up here on this stage. I'm going to enjoy the moment. And all you skeptics out there, I'm going to sit here and say to you, it was worth the wait. All right, here's the truth. 
as Christians, we are all in the wait. We're in the wait. But here's the difference. We already know the outcome. We know what God has promised. We know what we're waiting for. We know the win is already determined. We know what is going to happen for those who trust in Jesus Christ. We already know. And so when we're given the command to praise the Lord and we read that from the vantage point of the vision in 19, I think sometimes it's easy to say, yeah, if I were there, no problem, praise the Lord. But I'm in the wait, and I want to encourage you to recognize that the command in 19 in verse 5 to praise the Lord is given to you and I in the wait. Yes, we will praise the Lord then, but here's the great thing. We can praise the Lord now. We already know. So here... Here's the wonderful news to you and me as a part of the church who's received this command. We have received the command, praise the Lord, right now in the wait. Because you know that one day the wait will be over and it will be worth it. Here's what you do. As the church, there are some of us whose wait right now is particularly challenging. You just discovered you got something wrong with your physical body. You don't know how that's going to go for you. You just heard about a tragedy in your family. You just discovered about difficulty in your workplace. I mean, right now, the wait for you is particularly hard and filled with sadness, maybe even loneliness. The wait is really, really challenging. Now, I'm not saying that you don't have moments where you glimpse the victory of Christ's final promise, that you don't sense in the weight the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I'm not saying that in the weight, knowing God both in good and difficult moments is not filled with joy and glory. But the fact is, even in all of those glimpses of victory and moments of knowing the Lord, there are some of you in this church family whose weight is really hard. And then there are some in this church family right now whose weight is glorious and amazing and God is just so working in your life and you're bubbling over with anticipation for the full experience of God's salvation. And here's what I want us to make sure we're doing as a church family, that we're mixing together enough that we share in the moments of our weight and we all find a way to praise the Lord. Have there not been moments in your life you needed somebody who could see a little bit clearly to help you figure out how to praise the Lord in your weight? Have you not been in a moment where praise came so easy? We're meant to do that together so that we obey this command and praise the Lord for who he is. What is true about him even though we all You know, each one of you in your walk with Jesus Christ has experienced and will experience glimpses of victory. 
just a little taste of what's coming when Jesus Christ reigns. Please don't hide those glimpses from your brothers and sisters in Christ. Sometimes I think people will feel like, well, if I tell somebody, it'll sound like I'm boasting or like I'm prideful. And I just want you to move past that and recognize that when God gives a person in a church family a glimpse of his victory in a unique way that causes something to well up inside them that helps them wait on Jesus Christ, that is meant to be shared with somebody else in the church family. So share those things. Let's walk together. You know, this command gives some primary descriptors of those who praise the Lord. The first one is bondservant. The second one are those who fear the Lord. Think about the term bondservant. Those who praise the Lord are called bondservants. From the very beginning of Revelation, we saw that term. Revelation 1.1 tells us that Jesus Christ has the vision of himself to give to those who are his bondservants. Bondservants are the ones that Jesus Christ reveals himself to so that they hold on no matter what. Bondservants. They're the ones who praise the Lord. Because they see who he is and they hold on with everything they are. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, there's a, there's a really cool little story there about bondservants. If an Israelite was a bondservant to another Israelite, they could only serve the Israelite for six years. In the seventh year, he would be set free. That was the rule. But if the Israelite really felt like that this particular master was worth serving for the rest of his life, he was so good and right that he would go through a ceremony and he'd have his ear pierced against a door with an awl. And it would be a ceremony displaying that he would forever be the bondservant of that master. You know, that's what it's like when you come to meet Jesus Christ. You meet Jesus Christ, he sets you free from slavery to sin and death. And you recognize that in your freedom, you are now free to serve God, your master who made you and crafted you, who can help you become exactly who you are created to be. Bondservant. You follow the Lord no matter what. You follow him and you give your life to him. You live a life of surrender. If you want to be a bondservant this week, just think about it like this. Love God. Spend time in the word and prayer. Love people. Serve someone so that you can share Christ with them. Help others do the same. Invest in the community of believers around you. Invest in somebody younger in the faith. Now, some of you could simply just text one of your grandkids or reach out to one of your kids somebody younger in the faith, and encourage them to walk with Jesus Christ. Gather with some peers in the faith and just spend some time praying and seeking after the Lord. You can't imagine how much you encourage others and are encouraged to walk with Christ and to hold fast simply by spending time with each other. Spend some time around somebody older in the faith. Ask some advice. Ask for prayer. 
Spend some time investing in the community. If there's confession of sin that needs to be made, don't delay. Confess your sin. If there's repentance that needs to be continued, then press forward in repentance. If there's someone in your life you need to forgive, then make a step towards forgiveness. Bond servants serve Jesus and align their lives with everything who he is and everything that he says. Be a bondservant this week because bondservants praise the Lord. Fear the Lord. I don't know that there's another book in all the Bible that encourages the fear of God like Revelation. When I was in seventh grade, I had a, my best friend, one of my best friends. He, he was significantly bigger than me. Now, granted, I was really tiny. I mean, I was a skinny little guy. I mean, barely weighed as much as a feather. And in seventh grade, I was short and small, and my best friend was huge, and he was muscular. I mean, it was like he was a man. I was a little kid, you know, and I loved being his friend. He was as big as the eighth and ninth graders. Um, and so I loved being his friend because I didn't have to be scared of anybody. I could walk up to the biggest kid in our class and say, you want a piece of me? Because if you want me, you're going to deal with him. And I pointed at my, my friend who's twice as tall as me. And I love being his friend. And so it changed the way I approached the things that I would ordinarily be afraid of. It wasn't that I wasn't afraid. It's that he changed the way I acted in the midst of my fears. Fearing God. You read Revelation. There's some scary stuff about Jesus. We're going to see a really scary vision of Jesus in 19. You know what that scary vision of Jesus is meant to cause us to do not shrink back from Jesus but to cling to him and view all the other things we're afraid of differently that's the fear of Jesus Christ I know some of you in this room are afraid to share your faith you're afraid of being rejected you're afraid of not knowing enough you're afraid it won't sound right you're afraid to take that first step and ask somebody do you know Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior you're afraid fear Jesus more you don't have to be afraid to share your faith because Jesus is with you some of you are afraid to confess your sins what will people think about me what will people know if they knew what I'm really doing when nobody's watching some of you need help to walk out of that sin and the body of Christ is here for you and you're simply afraid you don't have to be afraid because Jesus is with you those who praise the Lord are those who fear God. Hallelujah, all the nations. Hallelujah, all the people. For the loving kindness of God is toward us, and his truth is everlasting. Hallelujah. The wait is more than worth it.